0: Happy Easter, Bridgeway. It is Resurrection Sunday. This is the greatest day ever. I feel like I'm the only one excited. Can you put your hands together and thank God for this morning. Oh, so, so good. So good. And uh, we've had just a, a great weekend. I feel like God's just really been blessing our church uh, from our Good Friday service to yesterday. They were throwing pancakes all over this place. And, and then the egg hunt. You've got to know this. We set out somewhere around six 1,000 Easter eggs. And I think those kids, like, they're like, oh, game on. It was a, like, world record. Like, four minutes is all it took them to pick up every egg in the yard. And so we know your kids had a great time this weekend. And we've had a great time uh, just being a part of, of what we really desire, which is is to to be an investment in our community and so uh my heart is is for this place and the people to come and to know god and all of our volunteers uh have worked tirelessly to make that happen and so i want to ask you to put your hands together one more time for all the volunteers all the people who served and just yeah set up an incredible weekend you you truly have have the best of leadership and volunteers here at Bridgeway. But today is Easter and I'm just so grateful to see you here both in person as well as I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at Church Online, Church at Home. Just an incredible privilege and honor to share this message and this story with you. This is the greatest story that's ever been told and this story can absolutely change your life and that's why I'm so excited to share it with you. I want to say just a a quick word to those who are here today. I see a, a lot of smiling faces, a lot of new people. And I just want to let you know that if you're maybe new to church, or this is your first time in a church, or the first time back in church in a long time, I just simply want to let you know I'm so glad that you chose to be here with us today. In fact, I know that it takes a level of courage to come through these doors, and you don't know what's going to happen in here, and yet you chose to be here. And maybe you had to fight through some discouragement, or maybe even some challenges in your own life, maybe some things going on at, at work or, or in your personal life. And and again, I just want to tell you this morning that you are exactly where God needs, wants you to be today, and, and this is a safe place. In fact, I think this is a great place for us to explore what this message, this unstoppable message of love that Jesus gives us in the display of what happens on Easter morning. So all I want to do today is I want to just try to answer one question, and it's this question, What's so great about Easter? I think it's great. Many of you are clapping and excited, but why? What makes this the greatest story ever told? And in fact, I want to speak directly to maybe three different groups of people that could be here today. You could be here today and you could be maybe for the very first time considering Jesus in your life. And I hope you are. In fact, uh, our team has been praying for you that you would come to not only be curious, but to actually commit your life to Jesus today. And we're praying for that because that is the best decision you could ever make. But you might be here today and you might be skeptical, right? Like you might have lots of doubts, lots of questions. In fact, you could be saying, you know what, pastor, I'm only here because I'm satisfying an invitation that someone extended to me. And I would just hope today that in many ways, that God could work in your heart that you could maybe change your skepticism into some into some seeking and understanding who this Jesus is. And then finally, I want to speak to those of you who are here today, and you're already convinced. You're, you're a follower of Jesus, and and I don't know, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. This is your 100th Easter message or something like that, and you've heard it, and, and maybe even today you're, you're kind of saying, you know what, I'm a little, I've gone a little lukewarm or even a little comfortable with this whole idea. And And I hope this message serves you as well today. I hope this is actually steel in your spiritual spine because the world needs passionate followers of Jesus. And so I want to just dive right in this morning. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn and to read these words for yourself. But if you're new here, all the words will be on the screens as well. You can use your favorite Bible app as well. And go ahead and find your way to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, I'll be honest, it's my... It's my favorite really telling or retelling of the resurrection of Jesus, and Matthew is kind of my my favorite gospel. Matthew was this guy who had really first-hand, boots-on-the-ground intelligence on what happened on this day 2,000 years ago. He collected all the evidence and now is giving us this information in the way in which he saw it play out. This is uh, the good news message that he offers. And he's telling us about this Jesus. If you don't know about Jesus, Jesus lived in the first century during the reign of the Romans. And Jesus, interestingly, wouldn't have appeared to be very, I don't know, like amazing by our standards. Would have been a little bit underwhelming to meet Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus wasn't very accomplished. He never wrote a book. Didn't attend college. Doesn't have his doctorate degree, right? And yet his teachings are the most, debated and studied of, of all philosophy in world religions. In fact, Jesus was poor, dirt poor, didn't have much of any possessions of his own. He didn't have a home. He couch surfed from place to place, and, and yet people followed him in droves. They followed him. He gave a message that was unlike any message they'd ever heard before. Instead of coming to church and hearing about rules and regulations, they came and they, they heard about an opportunity to have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. And not everyone accepted that message. In fact, most people rejected and despised and mocked and ridiculed Jesus. They beat Jesus. They whipped him. They flogged him. They drove three spikes into his body, hung him on a cross. He hung there for six hours in agony. And in the end, he gave up his spirit, and he yelled out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he gave up his spirit. And the Bible tells us that he was dead. Like, there's no denying it. I mean, a guard came and shoved a spear into his side. And the text tells us that water and blood flowed out, which medically would indicate that his heart had failed. He was dead. And they placed him in a tomb. It was a rented tomb, wasn't even his own. They rolled a rock in front of it and sealed it and placed two of those brutal Roman guards to guard it over the night. But then this day occurred, the resurrection on the third day. And what's so shocking and strange about this story is even though Jesus told them that this would happen, no one actually believed it would happen. I mean, not even his closest followers actually believed they would witness a resurrection. And yet this is what occurred. And I just want to start by, by reading this story from Matthew 28, and I want to, in maybe some ways, invite you to, to go to the empty tomb with, with them this morning. Our main characters are going to come to the empty tomb, and I want you to, to go with them as best as you can and try to imagine kind of the emotionally heavy moment this would have been. I mean, this would be for us the equivalent of if you were to have a loved one pass away and, and you were to go to their, their visitation, right? Right? and their funeral, and you would probably say things like, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get through this, right? And we say things when we lose a loved one like, I- I'm numb or I'm disoriented. I'm kind of just going through this just sort of like a zombie. I- imagine that for these two characters that you're going to meet. And not only that, I, I think it would have been even harder for these two characters because they actually witnessed Jesus being executed. I mean, they didn't have terms and language and counselors and psychologists. They, they wouldn't have understand psychologically how this would have impaired them, how they would have been dealing with the trauma and stress of witnessing what had just happened just a few days ago on Friday. And so they come to this tomb, and as best you can, go, go there with them, and in that confusion, notice what happens. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. It's just a a crazy scene, and it begins with these two characters, and I'll introduce you to them. They're they're both named Mary. Mary was a pretty popular name back in that day, so it would have been like Mary and Mary and my other sister Mary, right? Like they were all kind of named that way, and and yet we know the one is Mary Magdalene, and I can't even imagine how she must have felt going to the tomb. I mean, Jesus was her friend. More than that, Jesus was her deliverer. Mary, we know from the text, actually had seven demons that had indwelt within her, possessed her, and Jesus gave her freedom, delivered her from these demons. Can you imagine that man being gone now in your life? And then the other Mary, the scholars are a little split on exactly who this was, but it very likely was one of the mothers of, of two of the other disciples. And either way, these women show up, and, and they're going to pay the respect, but more than that. It says they're going to look at the body, but really it means that they're to look after the body. And so they would have bought, brought fragrances and spices, and they were trying to mask the, the decay and the odor and, and just do the proper thing in that moment. But then things really get cranked up, right? They, get, they go all the way to 11, right? I mean, there's an earthquake, and this is now, if you're keeping track, this is the second earthquake in three days. I mean, people must have just been freaking out in this land. And this angel appears, and he rolls back the stone. The stone would have been estimated to be somewhere around 500 pounds. And the guards, the two Roman sh- soldiers, are, are just, they're in shock, right? I mean, it says that they're shaking, and they appear like dead men. They've gone into a, a catatonic state of shock, and they have to, the angels then have to say to the women, do not be afraid. In fact, those are always the first words that they teach you in angel school. Hey, you're going to come down from heaven, <laughs> you know. People are going to really be, you know, kind of on nerve when they see you. And so just make it your point to say, do not be afraid. Those will be, you know, necessary words that you give them. And sure enough, they, they tell them this. He's, he has risen, just as he told you. You know, do you believe him now? And it says that the women hurried away afraid, and yet filled with joy. And, and I don't know. I mean, I can, I can kind of understand their fear, right? I mean, think about it. What would be more scary? <laughs> you go to a tomb, and you have to see a dead body? No thanks, right? Or you go to the tomb, and there's no dead body. Like, that would freak me out. There's just strips of linen lying there on the ground. Like, where is he? And that's kind of how it happens. Like, Jesus, all of a sudden, then... <laughs> like jumps out of the bushes, greetings, you know, ta-da. I mean, could you imagine that for these two? Like, holy cow, like this is, like, wake me up, pinch me or something. And Jesus has to kind of repeat the same words, go into Jerusalem, go into Galilee and, and tell my brothers and, and I will come and see them. And this is the amazing way in which Christianity has, has reached one person and then the next person and then the next and the next and the next is the only way you hear this message today is if these women did their, what they were asked to do. They were told to go and tell. It was sort of like show and tell, right? Go, go and tell that Jesus is not here. He is alive. And yet in that day, many did not believe and many today do not believe. And so as I said this morning, I want to give you these three truths, three reasons why you can trust this man with your life, and why this is the greatest story that's ever been told. The first thing I would say is that only Jesus claimed to be God. This is a theological, like, cementing that you must take and, and stand upon. Only Jesus claimed to be God. In fact, if you spend some time studying all the world religions, and I, I've had the privilege of studying a few, and, and you can kind of break off world religions into sort of like a tier. Like, there's a top tier of maybe three to four world religions, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism. And then there's kind of like a middle level level of like maybe 12 middle level religions. And then there's literally below that hundreds of thousands of religions, cults and followings. And if you just take any one of those, there has never been a documented statement by the founder of any of these religions that ever claimed to be God. They were all just ordinary men. In fact, I'll try to demonstrate with this, with just a few of them. If you take the religion of Islam, its founder is Muhammad. Muhammad was a great warrior and battler, and he he led forces against their enemies. But Muhammad was the founder of Islam, and yet he was a man. He lived, he died, and then they buried him. And you can go and you know, pay visit to him, you can put flowers on his grave. He's enshrined. You can actually go to the Green Dome in Saudi Arabia because he's not a god. He's a man. Take Judaism. Judaism is sort of the oldest religion. Christianity traces its roots back through Abraham, and so does Islam. But Judaism claimed that Abraham is their founder, and Abraham. Was not God. He was just a man. And when he died, they buried him. And you can go visit and put flowers on his grave too. It's found in the West Bank, kind of a kind of a war torn region, sort of politically charged. If you read the news, the West Bank. But you can go to the eight cave under this mosque and pay your respects. One final world religion, Buddhism. Buddhism was founded by Buddha, and you may know a little bit about him. Um, but when he died. His followers actually were divided. They broke off into six different clans, and they fought over his body. And so they divided it into 107 different pieces. And he is now enshrined all around the world in places like China, in India, and Afghanistan. You can go and pay tribute to his toenail, literally, I saw this on the internet. Like You can go and, and honor this man because he's a man, he's not a god. When you come to the story of Jesus, Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully human. And so there's no tomb to visit. I mean, trust me, if there were, we'd all take tourist trips to Jerusalem and go visit it. And they'd charge you lots of money for it. But instead, Jesus' tomb is more like a Motel 6, right? Like you don't decorate it, you don't dress it up. I mean, you're, you're going to spend as little time as you can there. And that's what Jesus did. Because Jesus was not man. Jesus was fully God. That's why when Jesus makes these statements, people just get, they get irritated. In fact, they want to kill him because he says things about his own divinity. Jesus would say things like, I am the breath of life. Meaning, if you want to live, you have to have my breath inside of you. Jesus would say things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father in heaven. Kind of a bold statement, right? Like, you got to state that, and you have to back that up with a resurrection. Jesus would say things like, "I and the Father are one," and this is really what led to his crucifixion, when he claimed to be divine, just like the heavenly Father. This, in that day, would have been punishable by death. To this day, when we think of Jesus and his claims, uh, the great writer C.S. Lewis puts it uh, just so so pointedly. He says that when it comes to Jesus, you must make a decision. Jesus is either a lunatic or a liar, or he is your Lord. And you must decide what you are going to do with the fact, but Jesus was the only one who claimed to be God and backed it up. That's number one. Second thing I would want you to know is that only Jesus said he could forgive sins. Now, this one really gets my attention. Because if you're some religious leader, right? I mean, we've seen these people, and they claim to be God or whatever, and and great, good for you. (laughs) But if you're a God that actually has something you can offer me, Oh, now you got my attention. And think about this. What where else do you find the offer for forgiveness of all sins? All sins. Like if you've got anything you're hoping no one ever finds out about you, let me say that differently, it's tax season. <laughs> if there's anything you're hoping the IRS doesn't find out about you, right? I mean, you need this man. He says, your sins are forgiven. 100 percent every single one of them and sin is a big deal in fact i know it's a big deal because if i made the whole sermon about this you would never come back or if i did something on this morning like hey it's sin sunday right (laughs) so what we're gonna do is uh blake's gonna bring a microphone up front and we're gonna start on this side of the room and i want you to stand up and tell me your greatest sin go ahead tell everybody it's like that would be a surefire way to thin out the crowds, right? i would work really well. And yet this is what Jesus offers, and, and we have a hard time coming to grips with it. I think whether you're religious or not, you know, it probably doesn't take much for you to, to feel the effect of sin on your life, to see the effect of sin in the world. And especially when sin is personal, right? I mean, you sin and then... And then you just kind of feel this. And I've been wondering, what is it about our, our feelings and, and sort of our resistance to sin, to talk about sin, to approach that subject? And I've, the best I could come up with is, I don't know, it's this. I, I've been thinking about how sin kind of makes us feel sort of on this spectrum. So you sin, and you miss the mark, and immediately you feel shame, right? You feel, ugh, why why did i do that or why did i do that again and it just sort of like makes you feel isolated and alone and you don't like that feeling i don't like that feeling and so the only thing you can do with that emotion of shame is mask it and masking it then kind of like forces you to start moving away from your shame and to say things like well my sin's not really that big of a deal right i mean My sin isn't as bad as that. So I ate the Oreo cookies. Big deal, right? Like, it's my diet, right? Like, I ate them. I didn't eat the whole package. I just had a few, right? And you start to minimize that shame, and you start to move away to where you think, well, it's really no big deal. I'm not Hitler, right? I'm not an ax murderer. I mean, I just, it's just this little thing. It's no big deal. And this is all we can do, is we can cover it with shame and then get to where we minimize it. And then what happens is when we have gotten to the end of minimizing it, we begin to judge others for their sin. I see this all the time. I do this all the time. And it's just so easy when you can kind of see the spectrum. In fact, I was driving back from Florida last week, coming home from um, spring break, and anyone else get caught in that parking lot on I-75 in the entire state of Georgia? Like, it just stop and go traffic for Literally hundreds of miles. And I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I spent a week in Florida. It was really, really nice. But the drive home was just brutal. It was four hours longer than it should be. And, and I, was, I was fried. And so I don't even remember where I was. Somewhere north of Bad, north of Atlanta. I don't know where I was. And I pull into this gas station. I didn't even need gas. I just needed a break. I just needed to close my eyes. Kids, get out of the car. Go use the bathroom. Get some drinks or whatever. And, and I pulled in. And I pulled in next to this I don't know, I'll call them like a, a biker gang, because that's what they were. They were like all on these big bikes, and they had the leather and the leather jackets, and it said stuff on the back of the jackets. And, and I wanted to close my eyes and just rest for a moment, but this was too good. Like, this was like, this was like really good people watching. And so I had the doors open, because it was still really nice. You know, it's going to snow tomorrow. Happy, happy Easter, Michigan, right? Like, on our fourth winter here, but in Georgia, it was really nice, and the doors were open, and I'm listening to these, these two bikers kind of talk for a little bit, and one, one dude, I'll just call him biker guy one, he's got this uh, plate, and he's got this slice of gas station pizza on it, and the wedge is way bigger than the plate, you know, it's like, it's like dripping over both sides, and there's like cheese, and grease, and he's just going to town on this piece, and he's just like, Eating every bit of it, and the other guy does not miss his opportunity. Biker dude number two looks at him and he says, "Are you really gonna eat that whole piece?" I'm like, "Oh, this is gonna get good. Like, I'm this was the gas station to stop at, right?" And the other guy doesn't miss a beat. He says back to his friend while eating his pizza. He says back to him. He says, "Judge not, lest you too be judged." (laughs) And then he says these words. That's in the Bible. It's the only verse I know. (laughs) I could not argue with this man. Like, theologically, I'm like, he's right, you know? And these two guys kind of go back and forth, and it just struck me how, like, it's such a gotcha moment. Like, gotcha, you're eating something unhealthy. Gotcha, I got a Bible verse for that, right? Like, you know, back and forth. And this is what I learned is I think sin is like that. It's like the great gotcha moment right? It wants to to trap you in shame, gotcha. Wants to trap you in isolation, you're all alone, gotcha. Wants to trap you in this feeling of it's no big deal, gotcha. Just judge others, get them. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He didn't go to the cross and die for our sins for some gotcha moment. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us and to show us all of his love in doing so. You know, this is crazy. I was just thinking about this. I, I literally just got this this morning, so I'm just kind of working this out, but I don't know if you'll agree, but I actually think that Jesus, in some strange capacity, actually loved humanity more after the resurrection. I, I know you're like, well, it's God's love. How, how can it be less or more? I don't know, but I, just, I, I think he, he loves us more. How could he not love us more? I mean, think about it. He went to the cross and died for us, but then he comes back, and he's all love. He's all forgiveness. How much of your heart would it take to come back and love someone more after they've done that to you? I don't know. I'll just say this. You're glad I'm not Jesus, right? I mean, if I'm Jesus, and you do that to me, you beat me, you pull out the last bit of hair I have on my head, you drive spikes into my running ankles? Literally, like you do that, and I come back? Oh, you better be afraid, right? <laughs> there will be no love <laughs> from Ron in that way. This is why Jesus is all love, because only Jesus could, could display this ability to forgive us and be so loving towards us in the process. He doesn't hold back his love in any way only jesus claimed to be god only jesus said he could forgive sins and then the real reason we celebrate this morning is only jesus defeated death i mean jesus didn't just die and then come back and then die again there's a story in the bible about lazarus that's sort of his way but jesus lived and died and then rose to conquer all of death for all time i won't bore you with theological theories but for about two thousand years now so many people have tried to disprove the Death and resurrection of jesus they 've got these crazy ideas that that jesus you know he didn 't just die on the cross, he just was up there, and they called it the swoon theory. He just kind of hung and he swooned back and forth and i don 't know there was like a casting crown song playing in the background, and he was like this great actor, and he didn 't really die he hit the ground and they, they revived him off stage right I mean what is that? Or there's this other theory that Jesus had a twin, and that one kind of works both ways, that Jesus' twin had to die on the cross. Well, well wait a minute, wait, you got the wrong guy. That's, that's the other Jesus, right? I mean, I feel like these theories, they're almost harder to believe that, oh, they, they, they stole the body, and his believers just all hallucinated when 500 of them saw him rise and live and go into town and meet and spend time with them. It's as if Jesus was trying to give us this this truth, these breadcrumbs all along the way. I have come to give you life. Life now and life ever after. And that's what brings us to this day and the opportunity and, I believe, the decision that we all must make what we're going to do with this message. I mean, think about this idea alone. Only Jesus defeated death. We've had um, two very difficult years kind of globally, right? We've been in a season of a worldwide pandemic. And I don't in any ways mean to minimize what's been going on because uh, we still have it. My my heart breaks for um, just the outbreak in Shanghai and the older population there that are are dealing and struggling and dying from COVID. But if you think about it, if there's one lesson that the last two years has taught us is the best we can do is delay death. I mean, whether it's whether it's COVID and masks and a tape measure to make sure we're six feet apart, and and if it's not COVID, if it's cancer or car accidents or natural causes, the best you could do is delay death. And so I want to be real with you this morning. I'm a realist. And the reality is we're all going to die. And I know one man who does not delay death. He actually defeats death. And the resurrected Jesus is the most real thing you will ever experience. And I hope and pray that you give your life to him and follow him with all your heart. And so I want to invite the worship team to come up. They're going to lead us in a time of reflection and a time of prayer and hopefully a time of, of just genuine celebration for what this man has done and can do continuously in your life. If you would bow your head and if you would pray with me, please. God, you're just amazing. And I can't think of really words to express how we show you our love. And yet the biblical response is what we call worship. To give you not just our voices, not just our songs, but to give you all of our lives. I pray for every person here and within the sound of my voice that today would be a moment. A moment of reality to accept this gift from God for all of your forgiveness and for the complete and utter defeat of death. If you've never crossed that line of faith, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, I wanna lead you in just a, a really simple, simple prayer. It's not all that you and God need to talk about, but this can begin the journey and can be your first step to just simply say in the quietness of your heart, Jesus, I give you my life. Make that your prayer this morning. Don't miss this moment. Just whisper it to him now. Jesus, I give you my life, all of it. And you promise to meet me right where I'm at in sin and error and wrong and human disobedience, but to be received with hope and love and mercy. And I wanna walk with you now Uh, for every day left of my existence. God, we love you, and we're going to sing to you now from full hearts of what you have done. For only you are worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.